17. Luke chapter 17, found on page 1627. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, we'll begin at verse 20 of Luke 17, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> This is God's holy word given to us, his people, for our good. Let us give our attention to its reading. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? They asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. Imagine a young man and a young woman who fall in love. This young man desires to marry this lady, but there's a slight problem. He comes from a very poor background And she is from a very rich family. So he knows that her parents will likely be none too thrilled with their daughter's choice for a mate. So he determines to do something. He decides that he is going to work for a couple years, save every single penny that he can, buy a nice house, hopefully prove that he can provide a stable life for himself and uh, this woman that he loves, and hopefully impress her parents. This young lady, however, feels differently. She thinks that the time they would lose would not be worth it. See, she loves him now. She does not care about his money or lack thereof. But he is determined. So he finds a well-paying job, perhaps better than he ever would have expected. And he begins saving every single penny that he can, having almost no expenses, spending nothing on himself. But then after a while... He begins to realize something. He begins to realize he has way more money than he has ever had in his life. And this leads to all kinds of temptations. 
And soon, after a fall into partying and gambling, he finds himself further behind than he was when it first got started. This situation illustrates a couple of things that can happen with the kingdom of God. First, one of the things that the young man really failed to realize is that the love of his life loved him and that was right in front of him. It did not matter how much money he had or the kind of comforts in life he could provide. This young woman loved him, but he missed it and it was right in front of him. When it comes to the kingdom of God and when it comes to Jesus Christ, people miss the kingdom of God because they're looking for a different kind of king. He is right in front of them and they end up missing it. Secondly, this young man forgot what it was that he was aiming for. He was aiming towards the end, saving up all that he had so that he could impress the parents of this young lady, but he forgot. And because he forgot, his commitment fell by the wayside. He did not persevere in the things he was striving for. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, so often people forget. People forget that the fullness of the kingdom is yet to come, and Jesus Christ will come again to judge the quick and the dead. And if you believe that, that ought to shape your life. There's a third thing that we learn about the kingdom of God in this passage today, and that is that the kingdom of God is shaped by the cross. It is shaped by suffering before glory, suffering and tribulation that precede peace and joy. And we see that shown to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So three things this morning. The kingdom of God is already here. Don't miss it. Secondly, the kingdom of God is yet to come. Don't forget it. Lastly, the kingdom of God is shaped by the cross and subsequent glory. Live in light of it. First, the kingdom is already here. Don't miss it. We see in this passage that Jesus is asked a question by the Pharisees. It begins by specifying for us, we don't really know exactly when this happened. Luke is not putting this necessarily in chronological order. He's just saying once or one time Jesus had this conversation with the Pharisees. They ask him about the kingdom of God. And they say, when will the kingdom of God come? When will it be here? We've seen the kingdom of God show up. One of the, one of the most central ideas in all of the teaching of Jesus. Their question, when will the kingdom of God come, assumes a couple of things, doesn't it? First, They're assuming that it is not yet here. It's not yet here. When will this kingdom come? Different than right now. Secondly, they're assuming that they'll be able to see it come. It will be observable with certain signs. So Jesus has already answered part of this question. He's already told them that the kingdom of God is already present in many places throughout the Gospel of Luke, but perhaps no more clearly than chapter 11, verse 20. Jesus says there, if by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he says that the kingdom of God is not something that comes with careful observation. It's a pretty interesting word. It can have a couple different nuances of meaning. The first thing that it can mean is like a doctor carefully watching the spread of a disease or an affliction. The past couple of weeks, we had one of our sweet girls develop a little rash And so Michelle and I were carefully poring over all of the signs of this rash. Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Every mark on her body, is it getting bigger? Is it getting smaller? Carefully watching. That's kind of what this word means. It can also mean carefully watching the stars in the sky, 
looking for signs in the heavens for when something might come. And that probably gets at it a little bit more directly, doesn't it? And people have always had this sense that if you look into the sky, you'll be able to tell when the big things in the world are going to happen, when they're going to come. That may sound silly to us, but people still read the newspapers all the time or log online to see what the stars are telling them about the life that they are leading. Jesus says the kingdom of God is not going to come with observable signs like that. That's part of what it means, that the kingdom of God is not of this world. It's of a completely different order. You're not going to be able to see the heavenly bodies move around and say, oh, here's when the kingdom of God is going to appear. There's a mystery to the coming of the kingdom, and Jesus' life is a testament to that. He was born in obscurity, lived a life without being noticed or recognized by most of the dignitaries in this world, and yet Jesus coming to earth is the most significant event in the history of the world. And so what we learn from that about the kingdom is that the kind of king that Jesus is, he is easy to miss, especially if you have the eyes of this generation. Jesus says in verse 25 in this passage that he will suffer many things at the hands of this generation. When Jesus talks about this generation, it's not necessarily everyone who is alive at the time of Jesus, but rather those who are spiritually blinded by their love of this present age and by their assumption that they would be able to tell when the kingdom of God was coming. And so Jesus says this generation will be the ones who will kill him. They will look straight into the eyes of the king of the kingdom of God and they will miss him. Jesus says the kingdom of God is already here. So don't miss it. He says the kingdom of God is within you. That's interesting. It it makes it sound almost like it's this invisible spiritual reality that's sort of a power inside of you. But remember that Jesus here is speaking to the Pharisees. So he wouldn't look at the Pharisees and say the kingdom of God is within you. Because these are largely those who have rejected Jesus. They do not see him as the king that he truly and rightly is. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, the kingdom of God is right here. Because he is in the midst of them. Jesus is saying I am here. I am the king. The kingdom goes where I am. Go. One of my uh, favorite lecturers, he actually is a man who taught at the seminary that I attended, but he had gone on to be with the Lord before uh, I got there, so I've listened to a lot of his tapes, and and he has said this, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, this is kind of a, a difficult thing to understand, Jesus is always talking about it, and we're trying to learn about what are all the nuances of this kingdom, how do we define it, he said, if you want to understand the kingdom better, keep your eyes on the king. If you want to understand the kingdom, keep your eyes on the king. Because as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. Jesus and the life of Jesus teaches us what the kingdom of God is like. J.C. Ryle comments on this idea by saying this. The kingdom began in a manger at Bethlehem without the knowledge of the great and the rich and the wise It appeared suddenly in the temple at Jerusalem, and no one but Simeon and Anna recognized its king. It was received 30 years after by none but a few fishermen and sinners in Galilee. The rulers and Pharisees had no eyes to see it. The king came to his own, and his own received him not. All this time the Jews professed to be waiting for the kingdom. 
but they were looking in the wrong direction. They were waiting for signs which they had no warrant for expecting. The kingdom of God was actually in the midst of them, yet they could not see it. See, in Christ, the kingdom of God is already here, so don't miss it. And that's what we need to be reminded of today, brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is present to us now. It's present to us in the preaching of the word, in the life of the church, in the fellowship that we share in the Holy Spirit together. Now, we don't have a lot of worldly power. We've seen our cultural sway perhaps diminish over those past number of decades. But to think that the kingdom of God is disappearing because those things might be disappearing is to look at it with the eyes of this generation. Now, looking this week over some of the places where Christians are most persecuted, reading stories about Christians in a place like North Korea, and the simple prayers that are passed down from parents to children, if it is a family where they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and just seeing their amazing faith in the face of terrible oppression. And if anyone finds out that someone else is a Christian, very easily that person may end up in a labor camp, probably to die. And so what we need to understand, something about the kingdom of God is even in the midst of those situations, the kingdom has come in Jesus Christ. To those of the eyes of this generation, it's easy to miss. So make sure, brothers and sisters, that you don't miss it. Matthew 13 talks about the growth of the kingdom being mysterious as a mustard seed growing into a plant and then a tall tree, which is a bit of hyperbole, right? Because that's not what mustard plants actually grow into. Jesus says birds will come and make their nests in it. In other words, it's, it's bigger than we ever possibly could have imagined. The church seems small and God is always doing something that we can't understand. We can't put our finger on it. Think of the book of Revelation where John uh, hears the voice of the 144,000, but then he opens his eyes and he sees a multitude beyond number, a people made up of every tribe and tongue and nation and family gathered around the throne and singing praise to Jesus Christ and lifting his name up. We need to be comforted through that, brothers and sisters. We need to learn to be comforted through the gospel. We need to learn to be comforted through what God is doing in and through his word and building us up and sanctifying us. We need to be sure that as the church we are not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. We are saved by grace and we are transformed by grace. It's never going to be that impressive to the world. But that's part of the mystery of the kingdom. You see, because of Christ... And because of what he has established, and because of what God continues to do in and through Christ, the kingdom of God is already here. So don't miss it. Jesus speaks in this passage not only of the presence of the kingdom, but also the future of the kingdom. See, the kingdom has come, but it is not yet in its final state. So the kingdom is still coming. Don't forget it. One of the things that was difficult for people to understand during the life of Jesus is that the kingdom had come, but that the king was suffering. See, that that goes against uh, the thinking of most people. If the king has come, he has come to enter his glory. We see the disciples say that much in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. They think that their time to reign has come. So difficult for both the religious leaders in Israel and the disciples of Jesus to get that during the life of Jesus. The king has come, but he has come to suffer. 
As we look back, we understand, okay, we understand the cross and the resurrection, the forgiveness of sin. The kingdom of God is established through those means. The suffering king, we get that. But what we tend to forget in our day is that the king is coming again to reign. He is coming again to judge. And the difficulty that we have is that then, because of that, our lives are not shaped by the conviction that that is truly going to happen. Paul calls the return of Jesus Christ in the future our blessed hope. It is our blessed hope. And we need to ask ourselves whether or not it truly is. Do we truly look at the return of Jesus Christ and say that is our blessed hope? Our souls and our hearts long for nothing more than to see our Savior. But if we do long for it, if that truly is what we long for, then we are uh, going to be in danger of something. Jesus says you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And that is because uh, the disciples were going to experience a lot of suffering. They were going to experience a lot of tribulation. And so the temptation is to look forward to the glory and say, I want to bypass all of the suffering and get right to the glory. And so if you truly long to see Jesus, one of the dangers you will have is you will be susceptible to believing people who say, I know when he's coming. I know when he's going to show up. See, if you lust after getting rich, if all you want to do in life is to get rich, those kinds of folks are going to be susceptible to get-rich-quick schemes, aren't they? And if you want to bypass the suffering of this life in order to get to the glory that we experience in the next, you're going to be susceptible to people saying, I know when Jesus is going to show up. And so, uh, we think that Every time we hear about this, it'll be the last time. But again and again and again, what do we hear about? People saying, I know when Jesus is going to show up. I was looking at the stars in the sky or I found some kind of secret in the Bible that no one has unlocked yet. And I know I have pinpointed exactly when Jesus is going to return. I know that I probably shouldn't have done this, but I was perusing a little bit this week thinking about this sermon, and I just started clicking around with all of the claims that people have about when Jesus is going to return. Videos on the internet with over one million views, for instance, of a young child about 18 months old who was saying, Jesus is coming soon, and the person who had, uh, who had recorded this is saying sort of in the background that this means within the next six months or something like that. You're just amazed time and time and time again. But it's that longing of the heart to want to bypass the suffering to get to the glory. Jesus says, you cannot know the day. You cannot know the hour. Jesus says, for instance, in the book of Acts, where we read the church is being strengthened. The gospel is being preached. The apostles are establishing churches. And what do they say? They encourage the believers to confess continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus, in the Last Supper, John chapter 16, I have said these things to you so that in me you you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we do not know when it will come, when Jesus will come again, but it will be at least three things. It will be visible, It will be sudden and it will be triumphant. It will be visible, it will be sudden, and it will be 
triumphant. And when he comes, there will be no mistaking it. It will be like lightning flashing from one end of the sky to the other because the one who is enthroned in the heavens, the one who rules and who reigns and who is in control and who has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he will come again. And then we will know that all along he was reigning. All along he was in control and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's definitely talking here about the glorious appearing. And so we need to, to, to remember that, that we, no one knows exactly when this glorious appearing of Jesus Christ will happen. And there are many people in the church that believe first there will be a secret rapture and then seven years of tribulation and then a thousand years of reigning. But the problem with that is you will be able to pinpoint exactly when that glorious appearing of Jesus would take place. And that is what he is talking about here. We do not know when it will happen. The next thing to happen in redemptive history is our Lord and our King shows up and returns in power and glory to set up his kingdom forever. What will the world be like when Jesus returns visibly and suddenly and triumphantly? Well, Jesus gives two examples. The examples of Noah and Lot. And the common thread that he identifies in the examples of Noah and Lot is that in both times, people were caught up in the mundane rhythms of life so that they were blinded to the fact that there was a God who was going to hold them accountable to the lives that they had lived. Think about all the words that we see in verses 27 and 28. Eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. These things are not inherently evil activities, are they? But the problem becomes when we allow that to occupy the center of our minds, the center of our hearts, and then idolatry comes about because of seeing all of these things as ends in themselves and not ways to serve God. We saw that in Noah's world. People were caught up buying, selling, eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. The building of the ark for Noah was so symbolic because what he was saying was judgment is coming. Come and get on the ark. Come and get on the ark. Come and find refuge in God. He will save you. This is your salvation. People were blinded to it because they were caught up in these mundane rhythms. And that's what the church is to be doing today. In a sense, our preaching of the gospel is like a building of the ark. We're saying to people, come. Come into the ark. Come and find refuge and salvation in Jesus Christ. It's only in him and in him alone that you can be saved. And so how foolish and how awful then when God's people become themselves so caught up in these mundane rhythms, eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Ryle comments again, he says, let us take heed to ourselves and beware of the spirit of the world. It is not enough to do as others and buy and sell and plant and build and eat and drink and marry as if we were born for nothing else. Exclusive attention to these things may ruin us as thoroughly as open sin. He understands that we all need to engage in those things to some extent. But he says, be careful. Be careful what it does to you in blinding you to the fact that the kingdom is yet to come. Don't forget it. 
He says this, we must come out from the world and be separate. We must dare to be singular. We must escape for our lives like Lot. We must flee to the ark like Noah. This alone is safety. Then and then only we shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger and avoid destruction when the Son of Man is revealed. In both of those times, in in Noah's day, and in Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot, what did we see? It was that those mundane rhythms which, which blind you to the ultimate realities that this God is going to come and hold you accountable. It allows sin to creep into your life. Sin was rampant in Noah's world. Sin was rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, how awful and how foolish then if God's people allow these kinds of preoccupation with the rhythms of life, to allow sin to creep into our lives, into our communities, without even noticing how much it affects us. Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, Whole in Our Holiness, and I think he says this very correctly, that if Christians were to come from three or four centuries ago and look at how we are living as the church today, they would be shocked by many things, but perhaps by nothing more than our apathy towards things like sexual immorality. And specifically, the way that we allow ourselves to take it in and, and watch things for entertainment. Things that we would never do. Things that we would never do, we we seem to think that it's fine to watch it on a screen bigger than our house without even batting an eye or blushing. You know, we may chuckle that a couple generations ago, elders in churches like ours would ask people if they ever went to the movies in order to check up on them. We may chuckle at that, but I think we would probably all have to admit that the pendulum has probably swung pretty far in the other direction. And sometimes we fail to notice how much these things occupy a place in our lives and in our hearts and how much it has affected the way that we think. And when we live this way, aren't we giving the implication that we have become blind to the fact that the kingdom of God is yet to come? Aren't we saying that we have forgotten, that we have forgotten that Jesus Christ is coming again? So be reminded today, brothers and sisters, that Christ will come again. And live like it. Not in a way that thinks your obedience is what allows God to accept you or to give you approval. But rather show that you know your Lord is coming again by running to the ark of salvation. Do it by running to find your refuge in Christ alone. I love the way that the Westminster Confession concludes. Speaking of the return of Christ, it says this. As Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment, both to deter all men from sin and for the greater consolation of the godly in their adversity, so he will have that day be unknown to men, that they may shake off all carnal security and be always watchful because they know not at what hour the Lord will come and may be ever prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. It should deter us from sin. It should give us greater consolation if we are finding our refuge in God and in him alone. And since that day would be unknown to us, throw off all carnal security. Trust in Christ alone. Look at everything in you and say, that's not good enough. I need something better. Run to the ark of salvation and seek refuge in Christ and in him alone. Finally then, as we close, the kingdom is shaped by the cross. So live in light of it. We lived in California and we were told that you always have to be ready 
for a wildfire, you might be evacuated at any point. And the first year that we were there, we lived on a mountain, so it was a little bit more of a pressing issue. A lot of those wildfires take place on mountains. So we were told that you should have a go bag. All of those things which are important documents or things of sentimental value that you want to make sure that aren't lost in something like a fire. We think about these things from time to time, right? If you were caught in a flood or if a flood came around your house or caught on fire and you only had a few moments to get out, what would you do? What would you take with you? And those are fine conversations to have, fine things to think about. It's good to be prepared for those kinds of things. But Jesus says in this passage, when I come again, When I show up and lightning flashes from one end of the sky to the other, do not let that be your operative instinct. Do not let the treasures that you have in this world outweigh the fact that your king has come. And so the question for us, brothers and sisters, is have we treasured Christ above all? Because when he comes again and lightning flashes from one end of the sky to the other. Will your heart sing for joy because that whom, the one whom you have seen is supremely valuable has finally come again and you have lived in a way in your life, if you are on the earth on that day, you have lived in a way that says what I want most is to see the one who is truly and supremely valuable. What we need in this go bag then, our ready bag, Two things, faith and a readiness to die. Faith and a readiness to die. And we see the example for us in Jesus Christ and the life that he lived. In this passage, he says, remember Lot's wife. What's the lesson that we learned from Lot's wife? What was wrong with what she did? They're running away from Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment is coming on that city. And what does she do? She turns around. Why? Because the world was in her heart and her heart was in the world. She saw something else as more valuable. So that symbolic turning around, she lost her life that day. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Don't let the world be in your heart. Don't let your hearts be in the world. And the example for us is given by Jesus Christ who set his face to Jerusalem, did not look to the right or to the left, did not look behind him, but continued to go to the cross. And the kingdom of God is shaped by the cross. It is a suffering that precedes glory and we need to understand that Dietrich Bonhoeffer has famously said these words says the cross is laid on every Christian the first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world it is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ as we embark upon discipleship we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death we give over our lives unto death thus it begins The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. At the very end of this passage, Jesus has this interesting reference to death. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In other words, he's saying, number one, his return is going to be obvious, right? When you see scavengers gathering around a dead body, everybody sees that. His return is going to be obvious. But he has this reference to death. Because death, suffering, tribulation is what precedes glory in the kingdom of God. Again, not in a way that earns our approval of God, but in a way that says we die to ourselves and we run to something else. The reference to Lot's wife also reminds us of something else we need to be aware of. 
that unless we have faith in Jesus, we will not see his kingdom. When the Son of Man comes, he will sift through his own people. There will be those like Lot's wife, married to Lot, relative of Abraham, had the world in their hearts and had their hearts in the world. Those who never came to realize that Jesus is truly more valuable than anything in this world. It will cut through and it, and it will separate. Jesus has these two examples of two in one bed. One is taken and the other left. Two will be grinding. Uh, one will be taken and the other left. And then that's not a reference to some secret rapture. What Jesus is saying is that uh, his kingdom is going to cut down deep even to the closest relationships that we have, it does not mean that every single close relationship that you have will be severed. But as we saw with Lot's wife, you can be close to the covenant blessings of God and miss the kingdom. Miss the king and miss the kingdom. So on that day, there will be no more second chances. But until that day, God stands ready to forgive all of our sins, if we trust in Christ and if we come to him. So live in a way that is shaped by the cross of Christ, the suffering that precedes glory, understanding that and understanding the good things that are laid up for us in heaven. The kingdom of God is already here, so don't miss it. The kingdom of God is still yet to come. Don't forget it. The kingdom of God is shaped by the cross Live in light of it. Let's pray. Father, we so many times forget, forget the, the calling that's placed upon our lives to come and to die, to die to ourselves. But Father, may we remember that each and every day. May the truth of your word come forth before us And may we remember all that you call us to. We thank you for your kingdom, the blessings of your kingdom that are already here in Christ. So we look to him as our salvation. We trust in him alone. Father, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to forget it. So remind us of all these things by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.